and welcome to the City of Fruit podcast. Fruit is used as a metaphor, not of our direct actions, but the things produced as a result of our lives. This isn't about just the things that we're accomplishing, but the true deeper meaning and lasting impact of what we're doing. This is your host, Palmer Thomas, and I'm excited to have you here on this journey with me. Well, I am sitting down here today with my friend, Brian Welch, and Hello. Brian is a an engineer. How are you doing today, Brian? Uh, swell. Swell. Brian, uh, City Fruit Podcast, we always like to start it off. What is your favorite fruit? Uh, uh, long-suffering. I mean, uh, mangoes. <laughs> mangoes? Uh, yeah. It's a co- I, th- I feel like we have mostly mangoes and blueberries are the answers we get. Okay. That's Those are good. I mean, have you had a mango? I, I it is my favorite. It's darn good. It is my favorite. The like I said, the problem with mangoes is it's hard to get fresh ones, and if you don't have a fresh one, it's just not the same or a good ripe, you know. Yeah, the best mango I had was yeah. Tell me a mango story. Uh, <laughs> was uh, Moab, Utah. Really? Yeah. Not that that's where you get fresher mangoes, but I wonder where it was from. I don't know. You just had it there while you were there. Have you ever thought of how amazing it is that you can just walk into a grocery store and you can get, like, a banana for $0.10? Cents? It's it, – yeah. And Stupid And I, I don't have any idea where that banana came from or how to grow bananas or harvest them. And I may never have been to a banana place. Yep. And it, it cost me $0.10 cents to get that. It's crazy. Yeah. We live in a weird world, Palmer. That's the truth. Uh, I couldn't agree more. With that, uh, just explain to people a little bit who you are and what your background is. Yeah. Um, I I am currently pursuing a PhD in mechanical engineering. I'm focused on nanomaterials. Um, I'm working a lot with thin films. Imagine... Um, super small layers of material that are uh, just a few molecules thick Uh, that's kind of the area of work I'm I'm working in before I went to grad school I was a chemical engineer working in oil and gas and then uh, the nuclear industries Uh, so I kind of got bored with the office work and came to the laboratory which is a real passion of mine yeah yeah so you so you you know you were studying in in the or you were working in the office you had gotten into that yeah for in nuclear or oil and gas correct and then you decided you know i'm gonna go back to school and get into the lab that sounds more exciting to me yeah which for some people wouldn't be exciting at all but for you laboratory work can be very frustrating Mm. Um, I mean, you're usually you're trying to do something that people haven't done before, and at this point in time, what is it, 2019? Uh, most easy things have been done. Yeah, that no, I, that's a good point. I think about that concept pretty often. Like, I feel like as far as technology and stuff, there's obviously we have so much to learn and. And it's going to keep advancing, but at the same time, there's a lot of things 
that are have been done. Yeah, I think if you if you look at the progression of technology and everything, um, I th- I think you could safely say that much of the chemical and mechanical advancements happened kind of the turn of the century um, and the years leading up to World War II. Uh, most of most things were flushed out. I mean, you can think of even like um, engines and motors and hydraulics and all these things that are, that we use every day. Those were kind of figured out then. Th- after that was kind of this uh, nuclear renaissance where a lot of nuclear technology was figured out. More recently, we've been on this. Uh, like computer science, computing, exploration, and we're, uh, a, a lot of that's been figured out, but it's still really in a kind of a gold rush phase. Yeah. And it also has a strange effect on society because of, um, well, you know, with all the media that's produced, the social media, the mm-hmm. information that's out there. So, but but at this point, a lot of the mechanical stuff, a lot of the chemical stuff, a lot of the um, large-scale electrical stuff has already been figured out. It's like and people aren't breaking into new areas with that anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and and even with that, you were talking about how research is so is just. I mean, it's just like not only. It have things been done in a lot of ways, but then if you want to find out what has been done, it's takes it less one second to, to oh yeah to see the what information that's available to us now uh, from the years of and decades of uh, research is accessible by by Google search and so it's really changed the nature of uh, how we progress through research and what we figure out um, it's just imagine like you've got a whole library of journals and and papers that people have written on whatever topic they have and you want to find a particular thing and like I want to find an answer and I don't want to try to figure it out myself because I'm sure someone else has already done this so now you gotta go through a library to figure it out and you got maybe a library doesn't have the content and so and we had we developed all sorts of things for this you know yeah the three decimal system the the microfiches um i don't know if you know what that is i barely know what it is it's probably before our time <laughs> something in books i don't know i don't uh, it's like a, times it's like a, a film right it's like a small film and you'd use a microscope to see the information and then they could pack tons of information in rolls of this film wow yeah that's how and that was probably mind-blowing technology yeah at some point yeah <laughs> but now it's all just right there um you you're specializing in nanomaterials that's correct specifically uh polymers or or plastics you could say and what inspired you to go from 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 chemical chemical engineering yeah to now doing specifically nanomaterial research yeah i think uh a lot of what i do a lot of the processes i use it is falls under the umbrella of chemical engineering which is a pretty wide umbrella anyways um i i 
really got an interest from an internship um, that I had during college in this particular area. Um, th it's a technique called atomic layer deposition. I referred to it before. It's this technique to, to deposit layers of material that are you know, atomically thin or molecularly thin. Um, and so I, I, I did my oil and gas thing and nuclear and kind of came around and was like, I really want to look back into this hmm. technology in this area. And it's so fascinating. Uh, it's, it's a technology that's used to create computer chips. That's the primary thing. And then if you dive into the world of semiconductor processing, it's mind-blowing. The things that we're achieving hmm. at such a small scale, uh, I don't think people realize it. People probably don't realize that, for instance, we can image um, down to the scale of, of atoms. Hmm. We can even see like the footprints of atoms on the surface of a material. We can manipulate atoms. There's a famous image that was produced by IBM. Don Eichler is his name, and he, he figured out a way to use this probe that they were using to image um, the surface of materials, and he figured out how to use it to actually grab an atom that's like adsorbed to the surface and move it around. So he moves it and pixelates three letters, IBM with atoms and it became you know like the the universe's smallest logo <laughs> <laughs> how crazy well and yeah i mean so so that you said that computer chips is like one of the things we're doing with that like a practical application right, of that right. um i was thinking does this even relate to it but i was thinking about like uh you know i used to have a playstation 2 mm -hmm. and i would have memory cards that were like eight megabytes yeah, and they were like decent size. You know, they were like a a potato chip sized <laughs> memory card that was eight megabytes. And now, my computer chips, my camera memory cards, are like a hundred and twenty eight gigabytes. Right. And it's this thing that's. I mean, it's like my it's fingernail. Smaller. It's my my fingernail, and it's like it, I, I I don't even. I don't I, I know I don't know what the size of a memory is. I don't understand how memory size works, right? But like when I see this thing and it's it's able to remember my account on NFL Street 2 and it can tell me that I used to have this player and it's 8 megabytes and it can't that's not that much data. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, that fits onto that thing." It kind of made sense to me, I feel like. I feel like I never was really that blown away even though some people, you know, from history <laughs> years ago probably would have been like 8 megabytes on that's crazy. But I feel like I was kind of like, okay, I, I, I could see that this at least could hold a few things within that card. But now I see this tiny little, you know, like, I don't plastic, but it has other things inside it. And yeah. it, it's like, that's not even bigger than a piece of paper. I don't understand how there's stuff even inside that. I don't even know what 128 gigs is, but the fact that there's this much information on that, does it, it doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah. Is yeah, that well, kind of... Uh, yeah, I mean, no, definitely so. You're talking about like uh, storage, and storage parallels uh, computer processing. Mm. And the, there's so there's this concept called Moore's law. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, Gordon Moore was one of the founders <coughs> of Intel, and he's one of the fathers of um, you know the semiconductor and modern computing. 
and he observed um, right when solid state transistors were first mm. made, and that's the ones and zeros in the computer, that it seemed like every two years the footprint would shrink by half so you could fit um, twice as many transistors into the same area. Uh, and so he just drew a line out and says, okay, this is the trajectory that we're going to take. Every two years, we're going to uh, cram twice as many transistors into the same area. Hmm. And it happened for decades. And so that's an exponential growth. But how do you – but how do you – how do you just fit that? I don't need like, yeah. So I don't want to get how you just if it's the same. Yeah, area, so like how do you first, ma- are you making the transistors smaller? Okay, so the like transistors used to be basically light bulbs, mm-hmm. um, diodes and triodes, and and so you'd have I don't even know how they work really. I'm I'm kind of okay. I'm kind of a little afraid to say with certainty how things work because I'm afraid someone who knows better than <laughs> be listening be like. Uh, no, bro, that's not it. If you are, then you can come on and explain. Yeah, you're invited. (laughs) Um, anyways, so they had to, like, they had to, like, pull a vacuum or they couldn't expose whatever materials there were to oxygen. So they put in a light bulb. That's kind of the function of the bulb in our light bulbs, by the way. Um, and so they were bulky, so, and you could hold a transistor. You know, mm-hmm. and you plug it in, and that's why computers took a whole room size. Yeah. But then what happened is someone figured out uh, how to make a solid state transistor. So essentially, all it is is just it's just a switch. It allows a flow of current, electricity, or electrons, a flow of electrons, or it doesn't. You know, think of it like a valve, sort of. Sure. Light switch on and off, almost. Yeah. Um, so if you can start comboing these, you can create logic, mm-hmm. right? And then if you start comboing the logic, that's programming, et cetera, et cetera. So, so they make the first solid state transistor and they're like, hey, we're interested in making as many of these as possible because the more we can make, the more logic, can the have. more computing we can sure. do. Yep. So let's make it smaller. And so suddenly this idea arose that you wouldn't need a whole room to hold a computer. Hmm. And maybe even one day you could have a computer just sitting at your desk and would start doing the math for you. Um, guess what? They were right. <laughs> and so and there's then in this your lap. So, and then so your hand. there was this drive to just keep shrinking, 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 shrinking um, to make devices both more portable and more powerful. Mm. Yep. So that's where it comes from. Um, and so these uh, techniques, there's, there's, it kind of boils down to three techniques. You have patterning, so you can create your, your patterns to make your transistors and connect everything together. You have etching, which is to remove material, and you have deposition to deposit material. So you can combo these three things, and you can layer on different types of material, um, and in different uh, spots, and you can create kind of a, you know, uh, well, you're, you're making circuits, essentially. Mm. 
And depending on what material you use, you're going to use something that's electrically insulating, so it won't conduct electricity. Yep. You have something electrically conductive, like copper. And then you have something in between called a semiconductor. And this is this is the real breakthrough for transistors where at certain voltages you can pass electricity and below that threshold you can't Interesting. so hmm. sometimes it's a conductor sometimes it's an insulator that's the valve yeah if you apply the right voltage you can turn it on or off okay so combo different materials to create these little switches with some semiconductors, some conductors, and some insulating materials all together. Okay, that's how that's kind of the basic idea of how a computer chip works. So back to Moore's law, uh, some people have postulated, okay, we've been on this trajectory of doubling every two years. Was that because Moore was so clever and he could see the future? Or was it a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. and the whole industry is like, well, this is where it's going to be. This is where all our competition's aiming, so we're going to get there too. Yep. And so it just kind of happened. Uh, maybe it's a little both. And interestingly, um, I think I heard like a talk from the CEO of Ford, the new CEO. He came from Silicon Valley where all this development is happening. And he's like trying to take the idea of Moore's law and trying to hit targets way advanced in the future just to stay competitive to the car industry, which has not been on Moore's law. It's been like on yeah. a flat line. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a cool concept to bring into industries to upset them huh. and to interrupt them. So I think, I think it's exciting. Um, now, the fun thing is that you you can say okay we'll shrink and we'll shrink and we'll shrink and we get smaller and smaller and we're going from millimeters to micrometers to nanometers uh and now we start running into some physical limitations yeah so what happens is you can't continue to do the same things at these small scales hmm. um what happened in the last maybe 15 years is they shrunk uh, one of the materials down so thin that electrons started crossing it. There's a quantum phenomenon called electron tunneling. Uh, essentially, electrons hop through space. It's kind of like um, teleportation. I guess. Uh, not to get into any of the quantum physics of it, yeah. which I don't fully understand. Yeah. Well, I don't uh, think anybody here <laughs> Yeah, actually, they, uh, quantum scientists, there's some guy who famously said um, that not even they understand what's going on. Yeah, they understand how to use it but they don't really understand what's going on. Right. So essentially yeah. what you can have happen is electrons will hop through space. Electrons is what carries electricity. It's a flow of electrons. Mm -hmm. It's uh, obviously it's in all of our atoms, um, but they hop around. They jump here it's and the there. It's the movement. 
the things that are yeah. uh, revolving. So, so they can the they can cross a certain distance. Yeah. And we made materials so thin no that way. we're below that distance. So it's fitting between the nucleus. No, no, no. So we needed we needed to insulate. Yeah. Okay. Electricity. Okay. But the, the materials got so thin. Ah, uh, it wasn't holding that up. the electrons could teleport across get outside of that and still conduct electricity crazy okay yeah so so it wasn't insulating anymore it was it wasn't working because right it's too thin so interesting we hit a physical barrier so we had to say okay this is not working we need to find different type of material that can do the same thing and maintain that thickness wow but and so that that happened (laughs) right now a big problem that they're having is Okay, with patterning, how do you pattern? Essentially, what you do um, is uh, you shine light and cast shadows. So there's something that's called a photoresist, and it's a it's a material. So it's usually a polymer, a plastic, and if you shine light on it, it'll change. And so either um, wherever you shine light on it, it'll wash away once you put a solvent on it. Or wherever you hit it with light, it'll be stronger. And everywhere that didn't get the light, mm. that'll wash away. Okay, so then you can cast shadows to create your patterns um, with really fine detail and then wash away hmm. pattern, do, the, do your deposition, do your etching, put your stuff down. This is this is like been crucial for getting smaller and smaller and smaller features because how else are you going to do it you're going to get like hmm. a little robot arms to do it no we like yeah we're way beyond that i suppose you could uh but if you want to make billions of a thing which is what we make billions of transistors you know that's impractical so now we just cast shadows hmm. okay the thing with light is um, once you get to a small enough spacing, it won't cast shadows the way you think it should. It starts kind of wandering around. Hmm. Uh, you know, because light is often described as a, a wave. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, anyways, there's a phenomenon that has to do with the wave properties of light. So now once you get too, once you're trying to cast shadows too thin like smaller than that wave yeah like slots yeah right essentially essentially yeah now you're not it's not gonna fit it's not doing what you think it is not gonna be like straight lines yeah interesting okay so the way to correct for this is to get light with shorter wavelengths that and they'll Mm. be less affected by this okay and you can think of you know most people know that um like red has longer wavelengths yeah um and you go through the rainbow, and then you're at Blue's blue, shortest. and it's the shortest, and you can go beyond blue, and then we can't see it anymore. Yeah. Ultraviolet. Okay, so they start using, like, ultraviolet light, and then they so they, and then use x-rays, and I have to go, like, finer and finer and finer, and now we're at a point where it's just ridiculous how, <laughs> how to generate um, light with wavelengths this thin. Or this small, you know, uh, just to be able to pattern this small. Uh, so there's 
right now there's like tons of money being dumped into like laser technology and 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 so i guess just to like to go practical again with that and so those things you're talking about would be used to make faster computer processors or right more store i mean storage no but things like that would be compute like that's what you're talking about right 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 right. to make these insanely small and portable computer processors right exactly or or to maintain the same size and then cram more computing make it a lot faster into them yeah yeah are these mostly i mean i'm sure that this has a million applications in in general but also probably in like government military i mean do you is that where do you do you well, do you know what industries or what people are this is, doing this most this is uh, yeah so these techniques are used to make like computer chips but also storage as we talked about yep um, and the there's also this field called mems um, which is essentially small mechanical devices mm. let's see what does mems stand for i should definitely know this <coughs> none of my uh colleagues better listen to this micro <laughs> uh electronic mechanisms and so essentially it's like small teeny machines or uh me- mechanical devices but <laughs> they're microns small or nanometers small um and you can have uh, gears, you can have cantilever bars, you know, kind of like a diving board. And these things can become uh, instruments. So for instance, or like a microphone, if you have something that can pick up vibrations, you don't, that doesn't necessarily have to be very big. If you yeah. can create it on such a small scale, um, now you can integrate it right into your computer chips. Interesting. Um, put it right into your phone. Or what about like um, doctor materials for like you know they go up into the, your system and have to do surgery, and they have those they have those little like robots that can track up your like yeah. arteries and stuff. So yeah, that's a that's like a different scale okay. than what I'm talking. I mean about. that's bigger than what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, right. It's yeah, monumentally bigger because it's not micro. You can right. you're, <laughs> you I, can yeah. hold it. You, yeah, you're talking about things that are so small that you can't, you couldn't, you wouldn't know it's there. You, you can't, can't see it. Some of these things you can't see with a microscope, like, um, which is wild. Our I like back to the wavelength of light. Yeah, we can't resolve it. Yeah, with yeah, our own eyes. So you have to look at it with with machines and computers that'll process it into something we can. Yeah, it's visually visible. See. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, this is, it's it's blowing my mind because there's just well, and I think this is too like what you're what you're talking about as far as advancements. I mean, okay, this is like a different kind of a thing, but I was listening to uh, Bob Lazar talk the other day, Area Fifty One guy. Okay, and just the way that he put something was like he was working on this alien technology and whatever. I believe it or don't, but mm-hmm. but he but he made a pretty good analogy with it. Like it's that we didn't know what it was it was, but it, it'd be like if you took a motorcycle. And you dropped it off in the 1600s when mm-hmm. people were using wagons to get around or whatever. Like they, even if they could figure out how to use it, yeah. even if they eventually turned the key on and started it up and started driving it down the road, which they might do, yeah. you know, they have no idea how it's working. Right. And I just feel like even what you're talking about are things where it's like one, I don't understand it at all, and but it's it's these advancements that we were talking about, like. 
a lot of these technologies have been figured out or worked on or yeah or there's not much more to advance but then it's like you're getting to there's there is more to do and then at certain points you hit things like you were saying with the resistor or the uh the insulator where it's no longer doing what you thought even pot like you're reaching a barrier of some sort but then maybe you can find a different material that'll block the electron or whatever but um what like what kind of things with this are are you um i mean stay on this topic if you want or we or go into transition this into like Mm -hmm. the polymers and plastics Mm -hmm. like you're passionate about but what kind of things would this be like relevant for for just like a daily person ah i don't know i think one just like recognize how amazing things are (laughs) Mm. um it's amazing i I, sometimes i think of you know like we plug stuff in right or like oh electricity is what makes this go but like what is electricity Hmm. i once asked uh, an electrician i know i said what what's electricity and i kind of know because it's grad school yeah um at least in theory i know the theory of it okay and the electrician didn't he didn't know like what physically was going on what phenomenon led to electricity why it allows us to power things but you know what like how many humans actually need to know that yeah to be able to use electricity almost none for sure and it's okay but we should be like I don't know. I think we should just take a posture of awe and gratitude. Like, holy smokes, this is this is incredible to have electricity. Um, and maybe I should think about what life is without it, or if if it's healthy, or what extent it is, and all, yeah, and all these things. So it's a good point because I, I, yeah, Palmer. I don't know if if there are practical ex. Uh, applications for photolithography and these things i'm describing yeah so specific and the industry is full of you know phds to uh even like work the equipment and stuff like that so i don't know it's just super interesting well no it's a good point because i think that as consumers we like you said think about is it good is it bad is it what are the the why but also the I mean, and, and so many of these advancements are coming at us so fast yeah. that we don't think about the why or the no, or the uh, the implications I of think, it. I think in society there's actually like kind of this tearing that's going on. So, mm. you know, at one point, maybe 100, 150 years ago and before, you could look at your grandparents and you'd say, my life's going to look like theirs. I'm going to probably do what they do. Yeah, you could actually uh, pattern your life off of them. Like you could, you could, you, like people went before you; they blazed the trails for you. Then, um, as things went on, you know, we're uh, there was kind of a separation from grandparents' generation to to your own generation. Um, but now I think. As millennials, we're, we've experienced kind of this further stretching where even like between our parents, 
It's like yeah. you can't even look at your parents and say, I'll do what they're doing. Yeah. My life will look similar to this. It's it won't, it hasn't. And as we continue on this crazy exponential stretching of technology and new developments that are that occur to us faster than our society and culture can find an equilibrium for. Yeah. Now it's even like we can't sometimes we can't even relate to like Gen Z. Yeah. You know? Or you work with like kids and where kids' minds are now is vastly different than what we thought of. And so even even in fractions of generations there's this disconnect and it's kind of scary. Yeah, but but it's driven by the fact that we're inundated with new advancements and um, things that have life implications, but we don't, we, we haven't spent enough time to find that social equilibrium and the and the social yeah. norms. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, even things just as like the people being born now w- don't know anything besides a, f- a, f- a smartphone. Yeah. And I and even and I'm 23 and have had wall plug-in phones to flip phones to smartphones yeah. yeah and like like house phones right. was like cool technology the wireless house the wireless yeah. house phone where you could pick it up and walk around it's the like house change the ring was crazy <laughs> and then the flip phone i i had personally a flip phone and then having a smartphone and yeah there's literally i mean people being born now obviously but even people like you said 10 years old that's not a concept yeah and 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 it's just advancing and and i think yeah the consumerism part of that is just crazy because it's like we are just not really sitting back to think of the awe and the maybe i shouldn't maybe i maybe maybe it's like this is how you live life period this is this is yeah well like i said at the beginning of the podcast we live in a weird world yeah like it's not normal it's it's very bizarre uh, if I think if you're going to say like, oh, what's happening in the future? Like we live in the future. I think the future started a long time ago and yep. we haven't figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. OK, so one thought experiment I love to think about is like I look at an object and I think like, could I make that? Do I know how to actually make that thing? Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and. When I started this thought experiment, I was like, wow, basically nothing. Like if, <laughs> if I was uh, – if I had no resources, if I couldn't go to Walmart or didn't have Amazon to magically deliver something to my door, like could I make that like like a, a T-shirt? Like what does it take to make a T-shirt? Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. That's That's complicated. Yeah. Okay, you need – Okay, I did learn how to like sew with a sewing machine. Yeah, I have the advantage of a sewing machine, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sure. How do you make that? Uh, how do you make that? How do you make yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but that's that's still just taking like sheets of fabric, um, patterning them, stitching them together, and then you make a shirt. You know, it's a lot of work. Um, but then, like, how do you make the threads? How do you weave the threads? How do you where like where does something even come from? Like, what is a thread made of? Yeah. You know, it's made of plastic or cotton or some fibrous material. Uh, so, yeah, 
Uh, I like thinking of the raw materials we use to make things. Uh, that's why I got into this field of science. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So with that, you know, we've talked in the past about um, about about plastics. Yeah. And there's just a funny politi- politicized conversation about plastics right now, a little oh, bit. Oh yeah. But but to some extent, I mean, I'm, I remember you said something I reference here and there is you said. Um, reduce reuse recycle are the things that we talk about yes but recycling is just not really done well or possible with some of the plastics we have right and so how can we reduce and reuse how can we but to to talk about what we were just talking about like a lot of these things and i think a lot of our developments in plastics have been so fast as well that we haven't thought about the repercussions the implications right. we've just said oh my god i could build that right. i'm going to do it Right. And it's amazing, and it's this cool thing, and the cups and toothbrushes and literally everything around the entire house is made out of some sort of plastic. Well, there's – I mean, there's good reason for that. Okay, so when it, when it comes to conversation of, about plastic, the thing is plastics are amazing. Yeah. They're incredible. They are so versatile. Oh, you can just do so much with plastics. Yeah. They're one of the most incredible materials we have. And we should, like, be really grateful for plastics. And we should, like, wave our plastic flags <laughs> and say, this is amazing. And then we should be like, okay, but, yeah, there's a problem yeah. with our use of them. But first we should appreciate them. I think that's step one. Um, yeah, because most people, when you talk about plastic, that what's in their mind, they think of, Oh, it's this thing that's littering the oceans and landfills and so all these problems. Killing turtles. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that is true. I'm not denying that. But, but we should still be, be really excited about plastics. Why? Because plastics are – they're this amazing thing. So it's just like close your eyes and imagine we're in physics land, okay, and we're trying to figure out how the world works. And we, we're looking at gases, okay, and one way you can think of a gas is like a hard sphere, or hard spheres kind of bumping into each other and and bouncing off of walls and stuff and um, and then we move to like solids, okay. And before plastics, like basically all solids were these lattices um, of atoms together and they're kind of connected. You could think of like connects or Legos. They're just kind of like in an ordered structure or maybe less ordered and they're kind of this rigid mass of all these point uh all these hard spheres it's an oversimplification but here we go so now now imagine all of our all of our imagination all of our developments are around kind of these two things so you have liquids too um, which is kind of in between the two but now we start figuring out a way to connect these atoms together again and again and again and again and again and so instead of having kind of a these uh, spheres floating through space now we have these long chains they're gonna fall out and they're gonna become liquids or you start really making long ones now you've got like these spaghetti strands suddenly all the physics that we developed they don't apply anymore all the way we thought about materials isn't happening anymore and um, so you've got these long kind of snakes of of this material and um, they move differently they jiggle around they are f- they're flexible 
you know they give if you you can start doing different things to them you can start cross-linking them you can create a chemical bond between two of these long spaghetti strands you can do it again and again so now you have this really rigid structure um, maybe you could even first make the spaghetti into some form and then cross-link it and freeze it into that form uh, now you've got this material that's got all these different properties so you know if we think of the materials that were available to us before plastics we had essentially we had like ceramics and metals and natural materials okay so ceramics when when you say ceramic you get this idea of like something that's really hard um, but also brittle it'll snap it won't give it won't it's yep. not stretchy it's not bendy so yep. it, it also can handle high temperatures and um, it's electrically insulating okay then you have metals metals are pretty tough they have some flex to them but they're they're pretty rigid um, some some metals are very ductile like you know copper you can bend it and manipulate it um, but both of these are pretty hard so if you want to get something that's kind of pliable or soft now you have to get a natural material so you get leather or you you pull fibers out of plants and yep. weave it or some woods yeah wood wood is flexible is, yeah um, and rigid kind of like a metal but um, has a little more give to it okay so suddenly polymers hit the scene or plastics I'm gonna what's I, the is there a brief history of that like do you know how how wh who i mean how did that even first come about yeah is so I, the first fully synthetic plastic was bakelite um and my knowledge of the history is essentially some guy was some chemist was you know messing around in the lab and made this solid when he wasn't trying to and then he looked at it and he's like oh maybe i can make something out of this so suddenly everything was made out of bakelite hmm. uh yeah so then the the way plastic became really prolific was actually through billiards okay hmm. so billiards was huge in the late 1800s early 1900s it was it's just massively prolific uh but all the cue ball the cue ball and all the balls were made out of ivory yeah a natural material yep and it had the right kind of um the right bounce and the right yep weight and density and all that so so elephants getting hurt poor elephants is like maybe it's the start of there it's a lot of elephants sad. yeah it's I mean, a that's lot like of one elephant per it's still per a problem table. today yeah ivory trade is crazy uh plus i think you couldn't even get that many like billiards balls out of a single tusk you know yeah that's like one table per elephant maybe okay get so that. some guys like hey let's someone please figure out a material that we could use instead of ivory <laughs> interesting and um so someone developed they plastic. try wood they try wood and it doesn't work yeah it's not or heavy stone enough. stones don't bounce enough. or yeah a metal nothing's quite right and someone comes up with a plastic and i i, I don't know what plastic it was used but this is like perfect and cheap and so and it's not killing any animals and it's not yeah or injuring or yeah yeah okay and so then this might be the first instance where we see this 
interesting trade-off between environmentalism and uh, and environmentalism. Okay, so on one hand, we're making plastics, <coughs> which are bad for waste streams and such. But on the other hand, we're saving elephants. Yeah. Okay. So it's like choose your it's choose like this trade-off. Choose okay. your side. Um. Yeah, so that's how plastics really hit the scene. Um, anyways, yeah, so is is basically chemists kind of tinkering around. This is how a lot of things were discovered. It's like chemists tinkering around. Mm -hmm. They made something they didn't understand or weren't, didn't intend to, and then they thought, aha, maybe this is useful for something else. And uh, and then here we go. So so the way like the way you make a plastic is like I alluded to you you like create links between um, small molecules okay so I'm using the term polymers mini mers okay and the the starting components are called monomers okay and they have there's kind of a couple ways you can do it the the most common uh, plastics like polyethylene polypropylene PET. These are the ones that have actually the recycle symbols. You know, you've, you've looked yeah, okay. at your bottle, yep. you see recycle symbol, you see a number in it. That's actually telling you the material that it's made out of. Okay. And there's, because I've seen the different numbers. Yes. And some say here you can recycle yes. number three, but you can't recycle yes. the other. So I believe, whatever. for instance, number five is polystyrene and it's got the recycle symbol around it. But like it just doesn't that doesn't recycle. Okay. <laughs> okay. So don't think don't think that just because it has that that it's recyclable. Um. Yeah. So these common uh, polymers, they're created by uh, a, a chain growth mechanism. So essentially, you make a bunch of molecules and, and they're chained together with carbon-carbon bonds. Okay. See, and the vinyl part of PVC came from the description of these carbon-carbon bonds, and they're very strong. I mean, diamonds. Think of diamonds. Diamonds are carbon-carbon bonds. It's not quite the same, but it gets the idea across. Um, and then there's another class of polymers, condensation polymers, and this is where you. Um, you create different kind of linkages. So you might, instead of carbon-carbon, you have nitrogens and there are oxygens or sulfurs or whatever. Okay, so, but these are these are more expensive to make. They're harder to make. But you can make perhaps more interesting types of plastics. The first class, the vinyl polymers. Um, these, are, these are super cheap because they come from petroleum. Um, and so we can just make everything out of them for almost nothing. So that's why they become so ubiquitous. Anyways, um, what's it, what's one example of something that might be made out of that common day oh, object? It's made uh, out like of that. Like water bottles and grocery bags are polyethylene, for instance. Uh, so that's I, so that's something that's pretty moldable. It's or malleable. I mean, it's mo It's yeah. You so. Part of the power of <coughs> polymers is you can do you can do a lot with them. So 
you can do like injection molding and I don't know all the manufacturing techniques but you can you can mold it you can pour it you can mm. you can do so many things to it to get into just the right shape you want and it'll stay yeah it's kind of like concrete has the same properties in this way it's concrete is like a rock that you can pour yeah and you can form in any shape that's why we have concrete everywhere yeah and it's cheap they have so so those things together make for a really powerful material to make stuff out of okay so that's what we have with plastics anytime um if you're designing a product and you got to choose okay what material will this product be made out of the most economic choice is always going to be plastics and so yep. and they've got they've got so many properties you can tune you can make it stretchy you can make it grippy you can make it hard you can make it stiff um and you can work and then you can just pour it into your molds and you can make it in high volumes it's great it's it's just amazing we make i mean we make car um uh, we make cars out of plastic think of all the plastic that's in cars the panels the everything we make clothes out of plastic. I yeah. mean, I, I, that's one thing that always blows my mind is like, I, I don't think of plastic as something soft and huh. yeah, and nice to wear, but like all our clothes have polyester in them, nylons. Yep. Um, oh man. So, but the engineering that's around plastic is really super neat. We, we started figuring out how to do many different things with, with polymers. For instance, we've, able to make polymers that conduct electricity hmm. okay so that's not the thing you think of when you think of polymers um we we think uh, we make polymers oh dentistry is it's incredible you know you go to the dentist and they like they take a needle with some liquid in it and then they put it in your filling or whatever they're doing and then they they take that gun looking thing with the orange oval yeah yeah you know and then they they do that in your mouth and it beeps. for a while. Beep. Yeah, and it beeps. Beep. And you're like, I have no idea what just happened. What happened was polymer chemistry. Okay, they, they poured these monomers or slightly, you know, just initiated polymers. So it's in liquid form. Okay. They, they showed this. They just shot this light in. It's probably ultraviolet light. Okay. Ultraviolet will interact with electrons in a lot of ways and long story short it, it creates links between these spaghetti strands like i described earlier so what was a liquid now becomes a solid but it's not just it's not just a solid but it's like it's been designed so that it won't change shape with changes in temperature okay because you can imagine like metals will they'll they'll expand in heat and contract in cold i so i always thought that that gun that they put in your mouth yeah was like a, to heat it up so yeah. it would just expedite the process that's just light so that's not like if you just if you just put that liquid in there, yeah, and then you walked away after a day and you didn't touch it and you didn't let any liquid, yeah. it wouldn't do. Uh, it's slowly crosslink, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's possible that it would never. Because I, I always thought that, that was you know a microwave essentially, and it was just heat, <laughs> it was just going quick. It's like hey, we could wait five minutes, but we don't want to, so this is gonna make it go twenty seconds. Right. That's crazy. Um. Yeah, so, so polymers have really changed dentistry. I mean, and it is, it's amazing. And you have this really hard material that you chew on cycle after cycle, you know, bite after bite, and it, and it's, it holds up. You, you just poured it in. It filled all the gaps. You also, they also engineered it so that this liquid would 
travel into all the crevices you know it wouldn't just kind of float you know how yeah. sometimes liquid won't go won't wet something yeah it won't wick or whatever yep. you know they de- they designed this so it would go into all the crevices it would fill in it would solidify it'd be hard and durable it'd match your tooth color and it would um it wouldn't expand and contract wow that's incredible crazy yeah so people have we used to have crazy. gold fillings now we have plastic fillings yeah and it's better it's better yeah and cheaper and all the other things yeah okay so so another really cool application of plastic just get in your mind electricity for a second okay now i see you got it palmer in your head i see you seeing electricity okay now imagine electricity but without plastic yeah okay it's okay you getting are you are you seeing it I mean, everything that goes around it, everything that can, that is an insulator. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. It, you don't have I didn't realize this for a long time. Yeah. But imagine if you couldn't coat the wires in plastic or you didn't have something that would insulate you from getting shocked. Yeah. So are we going to just put wires everywhere? And so when electricity first is like being put in houses, they just – They'd separate the two wires. You know, you kind of need an in and an out. And they'd just they'd send them different ways so they wouldn't get close and short and start fires. And put the wall over it. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then they'd just put the wall over it and just leave it there. Okay, sometimes they'd wrap it in, like, cotton or yeah, some gonna natural material. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you, do you put, put it in wood? Like, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, and, and you could, but, like, so they, they would. They'd wrap it in cotton. Yeah. And that was fine. So if you brushed up against it, you wouldn't get shocked. But like if that got wet, it was like useless. Um, Crazy. People were terrified of electricity. They're like, "Don't put that in my home." Yeah. You know, like we we take for granted probably how uh, fire resilient our design our built environment is these days. Uh, yeah. But like fire is a big deal, <laughs> especially back in those days. It's crazy. So, so yeah, just like very few wires aren't covered in plastic. The ones that aren't covered in plastic are your ground wires that are like safety um, wires. So mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so then plastics really revolutionized vehicles, uh, mm. specifically tires. Okay, so the material we used to use was rubber. And when I say rubber, I mean actual rubber. From rubber trees. From rubber trees, yeah. 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 And every time I say that, I think of George of the Jungle. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, I, you know what the movie is? Yeah. Like, he's yeah. like the Tarzan, and then yep. he's like, ooh, a rubber tree. And then he, like, bounces off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's how they work. But I could be wrong. Um. How yeah, crazy so, that rubber even comes from tree. I bet I bet <laughs> right. if you asked 90% of people that, they wouldn't know. Yeah, right, right, Which right. Which is like, I mean, we just call everything rubber. Yeah. I used to think the term rubber trees was a joke. Yeah. yeah. I uh, mean, I think a lot of the plastics that go around wires, we would kind of think as, as rubber, right? Like, I would think that this, this headphone oh, wire sure. right here is kind yeah. of like it's a rubbery as more of yeah. an adjective. But that and feels like a rubber, a watch band or whatever. That's like. Yeah, it's a suitable thing. But if you want to be, like, technical, uh, 
rubber is like never used anymore. No, yeah, exactly. Nothing's rubber. Yeah. Uh, tires are not made of rubber. They're made out of polybutadiene with graphene. Okay, so next time say that instead of rubber. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think it was World War II. Um, we had military vehicles and we needed them to get places. You know, World War One, we, sure, we, we were still using like horses and yeah. some tanks and they used like metal treads and stuff. I think World War Two is when we're like, hey, let's get a vehicle that could like grip on any t- type of surface and we could get anywhere. And we don't want to use like the horse drawn wagon wheels, like the um, Model Model T had like those really wood, rigid spoke. wood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like we need something something better so they were using rubber but the, like this tires would not last long hmm. and so uh so polybutadiene was developed and it, it had better properties than rubber and it lasted longer <coughs> and it was cheaper and it didn't kill all these trees um yeah and it was so such a useful thing that now everyone owns tires in America, you know? Yeah. Um, I own two sets. Yeah. And and I think we take for granted like how amazing it is, like that this this material was developed and how long it lasts. I mean, you put thousands of miles on a, a oh. set of tires and it just keeps going. Well, wow. and so I think like you said, like the cost of things and also you know, I mean, we can even bring it back. Like, people right now are like, plastics are killing everything. Yeah. And it's like, you're talking and wearing and looking and feeling and laying in a bed. Every single thing is yeah. is plastic. Yeah. So uh, maybe we need to like define or just at least talk or acknowledge what that was. I, I, I was talking or listening to somebody the other day. I think I was talking to somebody and I was like, what was a toothbrush before plastic? No, exactly. That's a, that's a great question. I I wouldn't know because even the handle is obviously plastic, but also the bristles are. Right. What? You're gonna have to use like natural hair. Natural well, hair. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know when toothbrushes became a thing. Yeah. It's it just crazy. Like, well, and so okay, so I guess so. The other thing with that, right, is like, we're I think because like we you just acknowledge where there is a problem with all this plastic floating around the ocean. Right. That's not where we want it to be. Right. That's not what's supposed to happen. So one possible thing is make that dissolvable or something, but also, and and so you can look at that and be like, oh, that's not natural. That's not what you want. But you can also look at your window and see the roads and the house that you have and whatever. That's not, none of this is natural. None of this. Even, even parks we have. Yeah. Like those trees weren't there. Yeah. And that grass was definitely not there. Not in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. And how you got (laughs) to that park. I mean, yeah. even if you walked there, your shoes. I mean, like, but you didn't. You drove, and you yeah. the roads that you have. Roads are like the least natural thing. Yeah, yeah. But Ever. but but we don't expect them to ever leave. Right. You know, we're not like, oh, look at all these roads. They're currently killing all these animals, and they're currently do. No, they're just gonna be there for forever. Yeah. We're gonna make them better. We're gonna pay billions of dollars a year to make them better, so we can drive our cars on that aren't natural either. So I think those things we've kind of come to terms with, right? Yeah. Like, okay, these are these are the unnatural yeah. things that we're cool with. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard question. I don't know. Rhodes is a whole nother topic. It, it's kind of amazing, too, to think that if you think of asphalt and cement, like, we have a continuous, like, mass of that probably from <laughs> Alaska to the, to the southern end of yeah. you know, Chile, Argentina. Yeah. Like, if, if you could swim through asphalt you could make it all the way across <laughs> yeah the continents well and so so then i guess address the 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 plastics and those things that we don't want to be that aren't natural in the way that we've ex- not accepted okay so yeah. plastics in the ocean single use plastics things like that i mean we've talked about and and they have I guess you even go to the, the the coffee shops now, and they have like eco compostable cups. And yeah, what does that even mean? Uh, okay, mm. so I I kind of talked about how polymers are made. Yeah, and now we're kind of shifting to like how they are unmade. Um, vinyl polymers. So this is the stuff that's most things are made out of. It's the ones that have the numbers in the recycle triangle. Okay. Yep. Um, these are these are so hard to break down because of the carbon carbon bonds. There's like not a lot of things that can do that. Um, in contrast, there's you know the the uh, biodegradable products out there and stuff. Um, these will break up, and it's because they don't have the carbon carbon linkages. They have other other things in there that are easier for bacteria or sunlight to break down, you know. But, um, yeah, so so the thing is, w- we are trying to shift to biodegradable materials. Um, I think a lot of people are recognizing that, hey, we initially moved away from using, like, trees for everything, paper and such, but if we can sustainably grow trees which in the United States, my understanding is we do um, have a sustainable uh, paper, paper cycle, you know, growing trees, cutting them down, replanting them. We're not actively deforestizing yeah. Yeah. Well, in our country, at least. Yeah, and, and just a thought, I mean, I saw like a, a thing on Facebook today that was a, a picture of that, and it was like 400, 400 million trees are cut down every year in the U.S., to make paper mm-hmm. if we just switch to hemp products we could save that or whatever well and, then and you're gonna have to cut all the hemp out well and so that was my thought with that <laughs> right is it's not like those aren't 400 whatever the numbers are those aren't 400 million trees in rainforest that we're going right. to cut down to kill off ecosystems right. we have a fa- like we have they're they're being grown to be harvested to be harvested yeah yeah and and the you know the forests you know national parks and such those are safe in it's the United not States, those. not not around the sure, world. Sure, okay, So if we limit the conversation here, uh, in fact, I heard, th- I've heard it said that if you want there to be more trees, you should use more paper because the demand will increase the supply. So you, yeah. people will make more trees. Fair uh, enough. So it's, it's so. Anyways, this should be encouraging because we can say, <coughs> ah, we have, we have a sustainable cycle. Someone may find out later it's not sustainable, but as of right now, hey, we have a sustainable cycle for paper, for wood products. Let's tap into that. Let's grow that. Uh, so whenever I go grocery shopping, 
Um, I I just go for paper bags. Like I don't know why everyone's getting so upset over plastic bags and freaking out over plastic bags, and we shouldn't use. It. It's like guys, just go back to paper. Like it's it's yeah, right you don't there. have to. It's it's easy. Why why? Yeah. Well, I I don't understand. Um. It, anyways. So, so some of it's just shifting to better materials. Okay. Let's let's use uh, natural materials instead of these synthesized materials, or let's use synthesized materials that uh, have design in them and how how they're going to be um, unmade or, now, or thrown out. Do you think um, with that? Do you think that every synthesized material could be replaced? Everything we make currently out of vinyls and polymers could be replaced with things that can break down well yes if you're willing to sacrifice things such as performance and price and these sorts of things okay so one interesting thing yeah if we're uh like gaskets you know a gasket is it's like the rubber ring uh that's not rubber but feels like oh rubber. yeah sorry 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 yeah, yeah no and that's that's the point that's crazy right uh, yeah no i oh do yeah gosh. so it's like the vitonry seals something for yeah the um <laughs> that between between pipes and, yep uh you know ducts and it's in your car and it's in your yep. engine block and um it really seals it off between two, a it, bolt and a yeah, hole it you makes put a something gasket in airtight there. or yep. liquid tight so what did they use before that? If we're going to go back to a natural material, we did use a material. What? Hmm. We used leather. We'd, we'd make gaskets out of leather. We'd hammer it out. And, but leather does not perform as well. Yeah. Uh, eventually, your oil is going to seep yeah. through the leather. So I think uh, we should just be – I don't know. There's There just should be some thought into – where to make the sacrifices and where not. But even on like the synthetics that you're talking about that are being designed to be broken down. Yeah. Can you replace that gasket with can you, you know, with a product that's uh, can, like are all Well, let's not that are let's not try to replace gaskets. I really like how they're at now. Okay. And they, they're not taking up that much. I do too. Uh, I like gaskets. Yeah, they're great. Okay, but uh, okay, just even in that like the performance that we get from all of the polymers and plastics we have currently. Yeah. Can we get that type of performance? Maybe, maybe not with the cost. It, it should, yeah. It's probably going to cost more at least to develop this new stuff. Yeah. But can we sometimes replace sometimes? Sure. Can we replace every type of plastic or material or yeah. we have sometimes with biodegradable? Yeah. Other would you all would you still call it plastic? Do you still call it polymer? Like that can be broken down. Is that I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Either. Um. I mean, some things can. Some things can't. Uh, uh, plastics have allowed us to do things that were unimaginable before. Okay. Yeah. And I and I I talked about some of those things earlier. Like we're never like how are we gonna insulate wires? Yeah. Well, uh, and and those aren't something that we are gonna want to biodegrade or decom yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not gonna say, yeah. oh, I want to have to recover my wires in my house every hundred years. Or right. ten, <laughs> yeah. like that, how dumb. Exactly. So there's some things we don't want to break down. Yeah. And it's like, I, I don't know. Are you okay with that? Or 
like our you know like people who are saying we need everything to be natural again yeah so let's talk about reduce reuse recycle yeah okay, yeah so uh I, you were alluding to a conversation we had um some months ago we we've we grew up hearing the three r's reduce reuse recycle this is how we save the world uh but the the truth is when it comes to plastic that that last r is a big old lie okay and so all these campaigns there's like on all the college campuses like put out their cycle bins or the city of boulders like and other cities mandating that you separate compost recyclables and landfill well the, the problem is like when it comes to plastics recycling you maybe get 10 percent of that mass to be reused actually yeah and the rest ends up in the landfill okay yeah. and I'm, i i hope people uh hearing this aren't discouraged from recycling but we need a better r okay and there's two we can reduce and we can reuse because guess what when you reduce or you reuse that's 100 percent. yeah it's 100 percent. when you recycle that's 10 percent. yeah and and recently actually recycling has changed in the united states where um and, and across the world we used to take all the things we recycle and ship it to china yeah yeah they would buy it yeah they'd buy it and so in the u.s and in other western nations there's a large investment in sorting plants hmm. so we'd sort the plastic like we, we are so good at sorting trash <laughs> okay but now china so what happened i uh my understanding is there's some like documentary yeah that yes so you heard about that came yeah. out uh about a family who like was in the industry was in the industry they owned a thing and it just showed like these horrible living conditions they had i haven't seen it but it kind of what happened is you the government i wish that? i had a i wish i had a one of those resource people the info people to look up things right now live on oh I yeah you should find out what the name of that documentary yeah one day is. when you're big i want to watch it and i'll say hey you're interviewing joe Ro rogan yeah on, your on my podcast. podcast yeah i need a jamie <laughs> if anyone wants to apply right now uh, pay zero dollars yeah. an hour. Also, fact checking because I'm dumping a lot of stuff. We do. We should. We should have somebody. <laughs> if anybody wants to be my intern, unpaid city for intern, just hit me up right now. Excellent plug. Uh, yeah. So then the government's decided, <laughs> hey, we're not taking taking your junk anymore. Uh, so now we have a lot of sorting plants, but we don't have a lot of processing plants for actually recycling goods. So it might be lower than ten percent. Yeah. Might be it still might be zero percent, and the whole thing is recycling is still dependent on the economy. Like, mm. if it's not economical to sell recycled plastic, like it ends up in the landfill. Yeah, and so it's yeah. Don't don't think you're doing much good by recycling plastic. Now, when it comes to aluminum or glass, my understanding is those are very recyclable. So mm -hmm. do continue using those. So so we could say hey. Uh, I think Germany does this still, and we used to do it. But like, why why can't we move back to glass bottles for beverages? You know? Yeah. Like, come on, Coca Cola, let's, or at least offer the product and uh, a way to recycle it and reuse these bottles. We used to do it. Yeah. We moved away from that. Yeah. Um. And the glass is reusable. It's just a better system. 
Unless someone finds out later that it's not, because that always happens. But. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But here's my solution. We could, we could solve all of our plastic waste. Uh, because So there's been a lot of active research in, hey, how do we break down these plastics? How do we get them to kind of their core elements? Um, then they could be useful again or fade away into the environment harmlessly. Maybe not, but... Uh, and so there's been a lot of research saying, like, hey, can we get bacteria to eat it or enzymes? Or um, is there some chemical process? And, uh, and here's the thing. There is a chemical process. There's a, there's a couple. And we've known about them for a long time. And they totally break down every kind of plastic, even the really bad stuff. It's called burning it. Burn it. Yeah. Combustion, pyrolysis. You And here's the great thing. If you burn it, it'll, it'll be something we could harvest energy out of. Yeah. Wow. Imagine that. <coughs> uh, so why don't we do that? Well, because it's kind of dirty. And it, it will create carbon dioxide. Now, carbon dioxide is really... At least uh, when you're a chemical engineer, you think of it as a rather benign um, molecule. The, the molecules that are bad, it's not carbon dioxide. It's like methane and it's um, sulfur oxides and nitrogen oxides and heavy metals and, and these sorts of things that are like the real bad guys. Of course, we there's a lot of discussion around carbon dioxide creating the greenhouse gas effect but the the thing that's amazing about carbon dioxide is even as a pollutant it's part of a cycle that's sustainable right because the plants breathe it in exactly right yeah yeah so if we can get it in balance it's not bad yeah uh, these other things they're they're bad we'd have to clean them out if we burned plastic so those other things do come from the burning of plastics, yeah. or can. Yeah, they can. Oh, for sure. Uh, but, so we say, okay, is anyone doing this? And yes, uh, people, well, lots of people are burning trash unsustainably, but Switzerland, I think it's Switzerland, we need that fact checker, uh, actually gets like a huge chunk of its national energy by burning trash from all the trash Across Europe. This is my understanding. And they have a way to, like, sustainably do it while yeah. cleaning out so the Yeah, they have to clean up the the waste stream of all the socks and knocks, and and they have to get heavy metals out. And it's challenging, but they do it. It just costs more. Okay, so they pay more for their energy. Um, so, so we could actually get address waste problems this way now the, the, it's also worth discussing like where is trash a problem is it a problem in america well we've got a lot of real estate for landfills yeah yeah we do but uh i i just recently read a, there's studies done on like where where's the trash where's the plastic that's in the ocean coming from and you know We've known for a long time that there's this giant mass of plastic floating bits 
the size of Texas in the Pacific yeah. Ocean. Yeah. It's just kind of swirling there from the ocean tides. And, and fish eat it. They see it's shiny, and they eat it. And then we eat the fish. You know, joke's on us. <laughs> um, but so where is that all coming from? And it's, it's not coming from Western nations. It's, it's, it's usually coming from Asia or Africa. Well, that's cause, because our inland landfills, as far as I know, are just literally just piling up, right? And we have that landmass for it. Like, yeah. if you throw away something in a garbage in Colorado, they're not disposing of that garbage by going to dump it in a river. Right. Because why? where is that going to even right. go? But they're just piling it up on our land. Yeah, which well, like you under said, our land, under our yeah. land, sure. Which, like you said, is that a problem? Is that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I, <coughs> I know. There have been landfills, and then they've been kind of reworked to be uh, preserves, or they've built neighborhoods over it. I, and then people are like, "Whoa, there's a landfill under." I don't know. Um, maybe it's maybe it's okay. Yeah, ish. I mean. Y- Theoretically, you can't do that forever. Yeah. Or you have to just dig a deeper one. I mean, theoretically, at some point, you're going to run out of space. But yeah, we have stupid amounts we, of land. We have a lot of land in, in, the, United in States, the United States, especially around Denver. Um, but, yeah, so the, the, some places don't have it. And a lot of places, they just don't have the culture of actually yeah. getting trash into trash bins. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and that yeah, that was I mean I spent two months in Mozambique, Africa, right yeah. on the uh, right on the beach on the ocean. Yeah, and um, there's just I mean there are there is a landfill a garbage dump there, and it's in town and it burns, but it's and it, you know when they're burning the trash and it smells and it's it's closer. Th- well, that's not quite a landfill <laughs> present. Well. Uh, it just a big yeah, but dump of so stuff. they're doing it. They're getting rid of plastic. But even then, but even it. then, I mean, most of it's like you said. There's not trash cans anywhere. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I don't even know how the stuff gets there to be honest. Because you just walk along the beach and there's there's trash all over it, yeah. and there's trash in the water, and there's trash everywhere, and like yeah, it's it's not really a thought about concept of like, let's all go get somebody to pay for it. Let's all pay taxes together and let's go bury it out of town. Right. Yeah. Right. Which gave me honestly a little bit of more of appreciation for just like what government is and what uh, these well, larger I th- corporations I think, are. Um, I think uh, that like trash removal is private industry. Yeah, yeah. It, here, but even, there's a lot of regulations around it. And, yeah, and it's yeah, but no, we we do take for granted. I think I've never. Um, take myself to be like a hardcore environmentalist or anything but like everybody likes clean clean streets everyone likes oh absolutely um yeah i don't know how it was in mozambique but i went to india last december and the air sucks like you can't see the stars you can't see the blue skies sometimes you can't even see like a building a mile yeah mile across i've heard it's worse in china i've heard that office buildings you look across 
the street from your window and you can't even on bad days you can't even see the build the skyscraper across from you wow what i mean what does that come from that dirt and that or not you know not dirt but that pollution yeah that's not carbon dioxide carbon dioxide is um clear, clear. and odorless this yeah. is not either of those things it's the other it's it's other stuff it's it's soot or ash uh nox and socks that that means nitrogen oxides and sulfur oxides um and so and well and so okay so to go back to plastics those were things that you were talking about can be can happen from plastics but there's a way to clean yeah you can clean you can clean up clean the burn off yeah well i mean there's you could process your your uh gas stream as it leaves your plant to try to filtered out in fact that's what we do with um, our cars we have catalytic converters. yeah right so yep. burn your fuel some of it didn't burn it's not 100 percent yep. combustion like on a diesel truck that's not burning it right you can see the black yeah come off yeah 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 they're dump- yep. they're screwing up their process yep. and they're getting incomplete combustion they're actually missing out on a lot of the energy yeah um, that could be delivered uh, but but they're car. also hauling, so that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for everyone in front of them, not for everyone behind them. Not on a bike. Yeah. It's not fun either. <laughs> um, yeah, so – yeah, so that's right. So some of it is – so the cat, cat converter will pull out the knocks and socks, and it'll finish the combustion. Okay, it's over a catalyst. Um, and then what comes out is like uh, carbon dioxide and water. So you could you could imagine a scaled up catalytic converter for these plants, but that is not what China or India or these they just or South Asia burn it off. They, and the other thing is you can design your furnaces to have a more complete combustion, so that as you're burning it, you're not leaving unburned bits to wander off into the air or yeah. chunks you know um actually on that one of the cleanest burning fuels cleans burning hydrocarbon fossil fuels is natural gas which the united states right now is like overflowing with natural gas um and a lot of times when uh people try to figure out how to move to sustainable energy sources they they try to help the transition by switching to natural gas in between interesting and this is great because when you burn natural gas you're burning almost everything into carbon dioxide which again at least in the mind of a chemical engineer is a very benign molecule it's it's not going to give you health problems you know it's not going to uh, poison you or well yeah because that's I mean that's always um, I, you know I just remember it growing up it was like if you're burning plastics don't breathe it in right exactly yeah exactly so you're saying carbon dioxide if that's all it is which yeah. let's just theoretically it, then that's fine yeah I mean think of because you're think not of, uh, a gas range yep or a gas fireplace that's a direct heat you are your the flame is in the house you're burning something in your house and you could think, oh, is this bad for the air quality? Well, not ne- not. I mean, it it's not the best, but it's it's pretty good. I mean, because you, you get complete combustion, 
Now, if you've got something going wrong, you probably want to get that checked out. And if you got some food stuck in there and you can smell the gas, like that is not improving the <laughs> air quality of your living space. But yeah, if you burn it well, we do it indoors in um, in the West. So what's bad is doing the trash trash fire pits and um, burning trash on the streets and these sorts of things that happen all over the place. Yeah. So, so and then, you know, they talk about like coal, coal being dirty um, or oil, oil products being dirty, natural gas. Well, so there's kind of a spectrum of like the quality of what comes off as you burn it. It changes. Yeah, so anyways, uh, burning, you can imagine burning trash would be difficult. It is difficult to kind of harness into a continuous energy bearing process because trash can change so much and you can't just burn anything. And uh, there's a lot of chemistry going on, a lot of things you're, yeah. you're doing there. So it's not straightforward, but. Well, and so, okay, so. To go so, you're talking about the reduced reuse recycle. Yeah, the recycle is not really gonna be the best way to do it for ever. plastics. For yeah. plastics, for plastics, sure. Um, reduce and reuse. I mean, stop going to the grocery store all the time and just getting a bunch of bunch of plastic bags. Yeah, maybe re reuse. Well, some and things. I'll say I think plastic bags are probably. Um, They've really taken the brunt of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're not the biggest problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The plastic bags and now the straws but the, are taking the yeah, brunt of it. Yeah, the straws. Oh, those poor straws. I, <laughs> they, uh, straws blow me away because they're almost like a gravity. They're almost like anti-gravity. Like if you think about it, it's like this is – I don't even have to tip a cup up. I could just suck on this and something goes against gravity and does it. I mean I get the physics behind it, but – it's like this is an amazing tool, yeah. And it's lightweight, it's cheap, and it's there. Why? And now it's taking all of this, all this flack when there's a billion other plastic things around. Yeah. That I don't know. Maybe they're not worse, but the cups and the lids are still plastic. Well, it was it be. was the photo, right? There was some photo that went around. Yeah, with yeah. The plastic straw. The turtle. And there was. Right. Oh, I remember uh, as a middle schooler or whatever, people were waging war on the. Um, this plastic uh, soda can holders, the six packs. Ah, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there was like a picture of like a seal with or strangled turtle with on it. Yeah, strangled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe we need more images of that, but like with with other stuff to motivate us. What do you think the worst thing is? The worst plastic thing is. Like, what do you think the one? Like, if you said there's this one product we really need to reduce or reuse more or just not use do you, is there anything that you that's like that is detrimental or that needs to be changed mm. i don't know I, I don't have anything off the top of my head i mean tires are pretty bad as amazing as they are tires are dang hard to get rid of <laughs> there's i mean you see just and when you don't see it often that's the thing too right you live in it when when you live in America, at least, you don't see it's any invisible. of this stuff. It's invisible. It you, is. You put it 
you put it in a a bin and it's and then, cold. and then you put the bin in front of your property and then it it goes away you put it in a plastic bin you too. put it in a plastic bin yeah and they don't they leave that but you can all, all of a sudden everything else is gone what uh um what just explain styrofoams is yeah. that a plastic is that Polystyrene. i don't styrene that the yeah uh it's um it's so it's got the vinyl backbone again with the carbon carbon bonds and then sticking out the ends are these styrenes and there's this kind of like big molecule groups and they're great because you can make like foams out of them and I, I believe that part of the process used to make polystyrene actually like the chemical reaction gives off a gas Hmm. right you, you can think of like baking soda and vinegar you can kind of see a gas coming off so if you do it right you can bubble the gas through itself and create like foam and oh, it's yeah. great for insulating um so we use it for coffee cups and um uh we use it for like house insulation or yeah you know stuff like that uh I I couldn't tell you off the top of my head why it's gotten such a bad rap. Well, so rumor sure. has it that there's not a Chick Fil A in Boulder because Boulder doesn't allow styrofoam. Yeah, is that is that true? That, that is, uh, I can confirm that that is a rumor. Yeah, you've heard that <laughs> as well. <laughs> yep. Which is, I don't know. There's probably a million reasons why Chick Fil A is not allowed in Boulder, but. I think I think it's just styrofoam. The styrofoam. That's it. That's the one thing. They might have I don't know. The religion might play into that. There's uh there's Whoever's one in uh, there's one in Boulder. To the southeast and there's one to the northeast. It's as close as possible. But it's not Boulder. It's not inside. That's interesting. Yeah. But but this but those are polymers. Those are the polymers, yeah. They're just a for, like you said, there's a gas form through it, which is interesting, and that's why they're maybe yeah, so light. I and believe foaming. I believe that's the case. So they can foam up, and yeah, the, the reason so foams are good insulators because like air gaps are good insulators. If you've got a solid medium to move heat through, it'll go quicker. But if you if you've got the gas, so remember I was talking about like hard spheres kind of running mm -hmm. around bouncing off each other. Now you've got you've got to have something bounce off of one wall, get energized, and then reach the other wall and deposit that energy on that side over and over. It takes a while. If you've got a solid medium, the you, whole thing it moves. Can, it, it even moves through like vibrations. Yeah, interesting. Um, so when you got a foam, you got a lot of static air. It's not even moving that much. Yeah. Um, so it insulates well. It's the same principle with like fiberglass. If you want, if you really want to insulate something really well, you pull all the air out of it, and that's the principle behind thermoses and hydroflasks. Oh. And so, um, so you 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 pull a vacuum, you get rid of all the air, and now it's super insulated. Because how do you move that through the non-air? Yeah. So. Um, the heat will only move through like radiative heat transfer, so it's just kind of emitting the energy through space. Don't even don't even get that. 
Yeah. It's, it's, how, it's how the sun heats things up. I mean, there's a lot of nothing between us and the sun. Yeah. Um, there's also – you could think of, like, radiators, like uh, – or, you know, you're at the movie theater. There's the heaters above you, and they're, like, glowing red hot. Yeah. Well, it's not air bouncing to transfer that heat to you. The, there's wind blowing, but it's like it's actually like a, a, a light that's coming, an energized uh, wavelength of, of light. It's hitting your skin. The energy is absorbed by your skin. You feel warm. It's a, you know, fire. This is how fire transmits its heat to you, and then you get closer. So the uh, the way that heat scales. Um, through this mode of heat transfer is um, oh shoot now we need a fact checker it, I don't think it's R squared I think it's actually R to the fourth the third or the fourth so so how close you are um, raise that to the power of three or four whatever it is and so that's quite a lot so if yeah. you move like just a little bit closer it's like much more heat and then just a little yeah, more, yeah. it's much more heat um, whereas the other modes of transfer, it's it's only related by like um, the distance to the power of one. So interesting. So, anyways, it's that's why when you get real close, that's why when moving closer to fire heats up very quickly, and moving away cools off very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But it's not it's not that it's heating up the air between you. It it is a little bit, but you know. If you're down, if you're uh, if you're upwind from it, you won't get any of that, but you'll still feel the heat. Yeah, interesting. That's an, I've never even thought about that. Yeah. Um, this is this is a long conversation. I'm sure it could go on for a long time. Um, <laughs> I'd love to hear your final thoughts, but I'd also love to hear with that maybe you can. I know you're a man of faith. Yeah, and um, I know you know obviously people talk about how faith and science can't be together and whatever and all the you hear a lot of things about that yeah uh i would love to hear from you what you know kind of diving into this why you care about that from like a faith realm but also like what it's taught you about what you believe about god and and the purpose of life yeah for sure yeah to wrap up like our conversation with plastic yeah and and the waste and what do we do i think the the punchline of all this is um we need to just like use less stuff and re- reuse stuff, be creative. Consumerism is really uh, the biggest enemy to reduce, reuse, you know, so. Maybe we need to just think about it. Yeah, we should think about it. Yeah. Think about I mean, that's it. The st- I mean, then, then everything you said too, but even that's like think about what as opposed to just blindly. Yeah. Like maybe you already have something that suits – the need you're going for you know maybe it's working fine uh maybe something 10 years old i mean we're still at the tail end of humanity here and technological advancement maybe that 10 year old item is like still super amazing yeah <laughs> for whatever um and with that with consumerism right if there's no demand then there's no production right exactly and so if you want to stop that then just yeah you and everyone else needs to stop consuming that <laughs> right right um, yeah, talking about like science and faith, uh, when you come down to it, 
I don't in a way faith and science are are kind of different things faith is accepting something um, in hope uh, accepting something that you can't prove science is asking questions science is a process where you try to discover a better description of our physical world through a particular process of asking questions, of testing, retesting, etc. Um, when you put science in that light as this process, it's it's a it's not in opposition to faith. It's a tool that you could even explore faith through. I mean, you can you can say, what is God like? Uh, the Bible even describes testing, like Job and um, in the Psalms, there's like different ways that the characters and the narrators are testing, like, is God like this? And then they see evidence that God is not like this, or God himself says, you think I'm this way, but that isn't, that isn't true. Um, and um, so a lot of people tie the idea of science to truth. They say, like, science is truth, or um, this is true because of science and uh, that's kind of the first place you go and uh, maybe it's the way we're taught in school but it's it's not necessarily good or healthy because um, I mean you could ask the question like is math even a thing like is math a physical hmm. phenomenon and I don't think there's a correct answer to that. Um, math is math is a certainly like a tool, and it's very descriptive, and things follow math pretty well. But is nature following mathematics, or is mathematics a description of nature? I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to think about. You know, is it? it uh, or the way to phrase it is, is it a discovery or an invention? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then there's there's always a classical debate about um, evolution versus creation. Um, and I, I, in certain ways, I think it's strange that that's become that those ideas are opposed to each other. I'm not saying um, they're not, but creation sa says that something comes from nothing by the hand of God or the word of God, and um, evolution says that the living things now came from other forms of living things earlier, but it doesn't actually speak to where the heck they came from. And wherever you are on the evolution, uh, whichever side of the fence you are on that, like you, you still come to a crossroads where you say, how the heck did that first thing get there? You know? That demands uh, an answer that science may not be able to ever uncover. If you open up your biology textbook, for instance, I mean, this is textbook. The 
the only description they really have right now is referring to it's called the primordial soup theory which is saying at some point in early earth there was a nitrogen rich environment and there was some organic molecules floating around in the oceans close together and lightning struck and made other organic molecules like that's possible and then hey we have single-celled organisms and that is <laughs> a huge leap it's a huge leap <laughs> um and it doesn't anyways when when you're faced with a question of is there a creator uh that still hasn't proved anything so I, i'm convinced of this i don't think i think god has intentionally made it impossible to arrive at a conclusion as to whether or not there's yeah. a God. Yep. Yeah. And and it's funny because through all of our advancements, we still can't answer that. Yeah. You know, uh, and some people feel very strongly about it, but even the even the cleverest people will admit, okay, it's not proven. Um, so, so how do you arrive at God then? It's, it has to be through faith. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I suppose before I went into engineering and all that, I, the faith was there. That's how I got into it. I, I find the description of the world and all these ways the world works is a beautiful, incredible description of the world that God created that he made that he stitched together I could go on about uh, like humans and cells and the molecules inside of us that are so intricate we have a sort of polymer inside of us or many many um, of these large molecules that are chained together mm. except instead of just being this uniform made out of one thing um, they're made out of like a vast array of different building blocks, proteins, DNA, RNA, and they have specific functions, enzymes. They, they perform f unbelievably specific chemical tasks, and uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's incredible, and you can say it points to a lot of things, but it, as a believer and a creator it speaks very highly of the imagination and the authority and the power of that creator to construct and knit all these things together so so yeah I don't think uh, I don't think you can arrive at God through science you have to arrive through faith but I also believe if if the God of the Bible is who he says he is, well, then he's challenging. He says, hey, ask. Ask about me. Find me out. I'm going to show, show myself to you. You know, uh, he's a God that supposedly talks to humans, supposedly has a relationship that's very good with humans, supposedly 
is interested in partnering with humans if that god exists like the least you could do is like just say are you there do you want to partner with me do you care about me and uh just my own personal experience has been like wow he is there he does speak he speaks through incredible ways sometimes he speaks things you didn't even know about yourself without even using words it's a mysterious thing uh i think science has a long ways to figure out how to get there so i'm grateful for faith grateful for god i'm i love the material world that he created and put us in all of the amazing ways that we can craft and manipulate and engineer and design and order and construct it's amazing yeah i love it i have uh learned a lot today and we'll we'll have to continue the conversation in the future um if you are listening to this and you have stuck it out to this point then you are a trooper but you're better off for it <laughs> you yeah are better thank off you for it. so uh brian thanks again for sitting down with me today this has been my absolute pleasure yeah thanks for having me thank you again for tuning into this episode of the city of fruit podcast we're a young podcast so we're in need of your help If you'd like to financially support or have any ideas of people to have on the show or ideas to talk about, please email me at cityoffruit at gmail.com. Also, remember to follow on Instagram at cityoffruit for all the updates of what we'll be doing and where things will be posted. Please get the word out there and share this with your friends around Denver and the world. And together, we can make this a city of fruit.